Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy. Your co-host is Shaq. However, uh, we're still dealing with a little technological issue. Honestly, I'm dealing with an issue here. So if my audio sucks today, I truly apologize. My mixer wouldn't turn on, so I'm using my shitty computer mic. But listen, man, the show must go on. So I'm here to put on a show for you guys. And I really appreciate you guys being here. So we got to talk about UFC Vegas 31 because it's going down this Saturday night in Las Vegas, Nevada. We got Islam Makachev taking on Tiago Moises. And it's a hell of a main event. Listen, Islam Makachev is on the big win streak. No one wants to fight this guy. Tiago Moises stepped up to the plate. He said he's the guy. So now we're going to find out Saturday night what the deal is. Uh, what's the interesting about this fight is a lot of people are saying Islam's going to finish this fight. And Islam, he gets compared to Khabib often, but he's he fights a little differently than Khabib. Just because someone takes a fight to the ground, looks to maul their opponent, doesn't mean they fight like Khabib. Khabib was more of a ground-and-pound guy. Islam is more of a submission guy. And then submitting a black belt seems like a tough ask. So I'm not sure if he's going to submit Tiago Moises here or not. But I definitely think he's going to get some takedowns. We're going to talk about the whole card start to finish here in a sec. But as you guys know, i got to give a shout-out to our sponsor, Manscaped. Um, but first, I want to address uh, the whole thing with me and Shaq. So everyone was like, uh, y'all are beefing, y'all are this, y'all are that. Listen, we weren't beefing when we were at the club last week. So I don't know what y'all are talking about, man. Um, We really just have had bad luck in terms of just the setup, the technology and all that. But we're trying to get it squared away. And as soon as we do, we're going to be back to normal. But chances are, in the meantime, I might actually get him here in studio and we might do it in person together. So I think that's probably the way to go until uh, we get everything else figured out. But first, I'm going to have to hit up uh, my tech guy to come fix this mixer. So, guys, if uh, the if the audio sucks, I truly apologize. That's why. But like I said, the show must go on. So before I talk about Moises and Makachev and break down the whole car start to finish, you guys already know what time it is. Got to give a big shout-out to our sponsor, Manscaped. So, Guys, the Olympics, Euros, baseball, major championships, and concerts are all in the summer. You know you know what isn't? A wild and hairy bush. Tame your pubes with help from our friends at Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming. Their fourth-generation performance package includes the brand-new Lawnmower 4.0, which is what I got in my hands right here. And if an athlete treats their body like royalty... Why not treat your pubes like Olympic gold? Fellas, do the right thing by your balls and join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com and using the code BATTLE20 for 20% off and free shipping. You guys already know the deal. You got to be like my boy Chris Moutinho, ready for any kind of short notice opportunity. Hey, that kid just changed his life. I mean, he went from fighting on the regional scene, making what, 1K and 1K. All of a sudden, he makes 75K bonus plus 12K to show plus uh, – whatever the Venom payout is. So my boy Chris Mutina walked out with a fat sack, and that's about being ready for a short-notice opportunity. With Manscaped, you will be ready for that short-notice opportunity, just like Chris Mutino. And the world is starting to open, and the Performance Package 4.0 for Manscaped is here to help you get ready. Inside, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0, which I already showed you right here. How badass is this? The Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, the Crop Reviver Toner, Plus two free gifts, the Performance Boxer Briefs and the Shed Travel Bag. Talk about a world-class dismount into a post-quarantine world. This package is the perfect package for your for your package and peak performance in whatever sport you desire. The brand new Lawnmower 4.0 is here to take the podium. This four-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. 
The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor and a new multifunction on and off switch that can engage a travel lock and gives you the ability to turn on the 4,000K LED spotlight on and off when needed uh, for a more precise shave. Did I mention this trimmer is waterproof too? So <laughs> Michael Phelps is drooling just thinking about the possibilities. This package also comes with the weed whacker to chop your worst weeds up top in both your nose and ear. Trust me, you don't want that shit. This tool is a lock to take home gold in the biathlon. The weed whacker is also waterproof and uses a 9,000 RPM motor-powered 360-degree rotary dual-blade system. Every time I say that, it just sounds badass. And uh, it also provides a proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps prevent nicks, nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate areas. After trimming your pubes, show them some sportsmanship with Manscaped's liquid formulations. The Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner are key to feeling victorious this year. Manscaped also threw in two free gifts in their Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BATTLE20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code BATTLE20 at manscaped.com. Achieve pubic glory this year with Manscaped. And, you know, when Shaq and I went to the club last week, uh, you already know we're using that preserver. You know we're using that reviver because when it's time to go to that VIP room, you need to make sure that you're smelling on point. I'm always smelling on point. I know my boy uh, is taking care of his stuff too. So let's get down to business, y'all. And uh, let's see it. Let's see what y'all are saying right now, man, um, before I get started. So we got my boy, Nasty Nate Williams, checking in from the fire department. You know my boy, Nate Williams, just won his fight last week. Five-round main event. Beat the hometown kid, the kid with the eight and two record. Beat him over a five round duration. Now Nate's officially won four of his last five fights. Uh, got a bout in the works versus a UFC vet. Once that gets uh, finalized, we'll announce who someone that you all know. And after he gets that win, I think we're looking at contender series or UFC. We got my boy um, Clint in here. What's up, Clint? I appreciate you being in here. My boy Clint is the man. You know, such great positive energy. I fucking love everything about this guy, Clint. We got my boy, Rob Brown Betting, cheering the GOAT, Alan Badeau. So y'all let me know, man. Um, are, is my audio good? Is my camera good? Because I, like I told you, I'm using my shitty laptop right now because my mixer wouldn't turn on in the studio. My me foot was a balloon, you know? I'm making as many excuses as Conor McGregor right now. How fun is that? <laughs> MMA Casual says Shaq is too big time to podcast these days. Nah, it ain't even that. Trust me, it ain't even that because we're trying to get him in studio. We're going to arrange it. It's going to all go back to normal. And uh, I'm excited. I honestly, fuck normal. It's going to go back to being even better. So let's do that. All right. Let's break down this whole car start to finish. Because first up in the heavyweight division, we got a matchup between Rodrigo Nascimento. He's 8 and 1. He's taking on Alan Badeau, who's 8 and 2. Currently, they got. Rodrigo Nascimento minus 350. The comeback on Alan Badeau is plus 280. So you guys know how I talk about how Alan, you know, how the TKO scene in Canada, no offense to my Canadian friends, but that TKO scene in Canada is one of the worst regional scenes we ever we've ever seen. I mean, compared to here in Atlanta, I mean it's you see some of these guys coming into the UFC. We'll talk about Malcolm Gordon here in a sec. But then I've also talked about the South African scene, EFC. They don't produce the best talent either. And no disrespect to Drikas Duplessis. He's been doing his thing. But I'm just talking about look at the guys he beat, right? This guy, Alan Badeau, doesn't just come from TKO. He also comes from EFC. So he's got the worst of both worlds. And basically, listen, 
this is a heavyweight fight. So he's still a big man. He's still capable of knocking someone out. And I think that his best weapons are honestly his spins and just, you know, the fact that he throws things you aren't often used to, you know, in, whether it's the training room or in your other fights. You know, he'll come out here, he'll somersault in his fights, he'll throw spinning elbows and stuff like that. So that's really what Rodrigo Nascimento has to worry about, man. I mean, he was just knocked out in his last fight. So, you know, I'm sure that he's probably going to come out here, try to play it safe. And I truly believe if Rodrigo Nascimento gets one takedown, the fight will be over shortly after. The difference in jiu-jitsu here is massive. I mean, you've seen in these fights that Alan Badeau has, not just the last fight against Tom Aspinall. What about the fight before that against Todd Stout? Uh, how do y'all Canadians pronounce it? Stout? <laughs> About? No, but... uh you know, I try to get my boy Cody Saftik here. I, I wish he was here so that he could, you know, go back and forth with me about, uh, you know, St uh, Todd Stout. But uh, look, Todd Stout was out here manhandling Alan Badeau. The reason it says that that was a win for Alan Badeau is because apparently in Canada, where weed is legal, I believe, um, that's against the rules in TKO. So they overturned uh, Todd Stout's win where he choked out Alan Badeau, by the way. And uh, they gave Badeau a disqualification win. So this guy literally comes into the UFC off a disqualification win in a fight where he got dominated. With Rodrigo Nascimento, he goes in there on contender series, dominates his opponent, takes him down. The fight was over shortly after. His next fight against Dante Mays, which was his UFC debut. I thought he handled the stand-up exchanges accordingly. I mean, he's kind of got that Brazilian Muay Thai style, uh, big kicks to the legs, big hooks up top. As long as he's not dealing with a big speed deficit like he was when he fought the number nine guy on planet Earth, Chris Dacus, um, then I think he should be good to go. So, yeah, Badeau maybe has a puncher's chance, but that's about the extent of it because I truly believe Nascimento can hang on the feet. But if he's smart, if he's really been trained, if he's been you know watching the film, if he's been sitting with his coaches at ATT, they know, let's take this guy down one time and we're going to finish him. So I got Rodrigo Nascimento via first-round submission. All right. Next up in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between Francisco Figueredo. He's 12 and 3. He's taking on Malcolm Gordon, who's 12 and 5. Currently, they got Francisco Figueredo minus 300. The comeback on Malcolm Gordon is plus 245. So, Malcolm Gordon, also from the TKO scene. I have no idea where they found this guy and how he got signed to the UFC because, you know, people like to give Cody Garbrandt shit for, you know, having a weak chin. Guys, Cody Garbrandt's got an iron jaw compared to this kid. I, honestly, I got half the listeners that are listening to me right now. I, I would be willing to throw a little wager on y'all to knock this guy out because I truly believe Malcolm Gordon has the worst chin that we've ever seen in all our years watching the sport. Allegedly, he's a black belt. That's in question, too. And with Francisco Figueroa, the big talking point that everyone mentions is, oh, he's Davison's brother, but he's not as good as Davison. Yeah, I don't need a fucking former champion to beat Malcolm Gordon. Like I said, I, I got half of you guys to beat Malcolm Gordon, so he doesn't need to be as good of, as his brother. His brother was a world champion, for Christ's sake. He doesn't have to be a world champion to beat Malcolm Gordon. So I think Francisco Figueredo is going to come out here, and I think he's going to do whatever he wants. If he wants to take this guy down, because that is the game that Francisco Figueredo has. He's kind of a body lock uh, takedown guy. I think he's going to take this guy down. But honestly, this is a spot where you can come out here, test your punching power. Throw some uh, some knees to the face, some kicks up top. Malcolm Gordon, listen, man, it's one of those things where it's not even like he gets wobbled by jabs. It's like delayed reaction KOs. It's honestly uncomfortable to watch. I think he's got zero business in the UFC. And after Saturday night when Francisco Figueredo beats him, we'd love to have him in the NFC. We'd love to do Jamar Whitehead versus Malcolm Gordon. We'd love to do um, Malcolm Wellmaker 
versus uh, Malcolm Gordon. We'd love to do Amun Cosme versus, uh, versus Malcolm Gordon. Honestly, my friend Cody Durden, y'all know my friend Cody Durden, he made his UFC debut on a week short notice. He fought Chris Gutierrez to a draw, and in his last fight, he got caught by Jimmy Flick. I was telling Cody Durden, beg your management to, to get the UFC to give you a fight with uh, Malcolm Gordon. Unfortunately, well, not unfortunately for Figueredo, but unfortunately for Cody, someone else got the fight. That's happening Saturday night. This is the last time you're going to see Malcolm Gordon in the UFC. And I think it's going to be a first-round knockout. So, yeah, is it, it's minus 300 on the not-so-good Figueredo. I don't give a fuck. He's not fighting Brandon Moreno. He's not fighting a top 15 guy. He's not even fighting a top 150 guy. So I got Francisco Figueredo via first-round finish. Now, next up, in the Bantamweight division, we got a matchup between Anderson Dos Santos. He's 21 and 8. He's taking on Miles Johns, who's 11 and 1. And currently, they got Miles Johns minus 190. The comeback on Anderson Dos Santos is plus 160. So, look, this kid, Miles Johns, is a very intelligent fighter. He's smart. He doesn't take too many unnecessary risks. He's solid. He comes out of Fortis MMA with Coach Safe Saud. So, when it comes to winning decisions, you can definitely count on um, on Miles Johns to do that. And with Anderson Dos Santos. You know, some may refer to him as a journeyman, but he's a tough-ass journeyman. I mean, he's a guy that finished Ricky Simone on his regional scene. This is a very dangerous individual. Now, if it goes the distance, I do have to lean with Miles Johns. But if there's a finish in this fight, there's a chance that Anderson Dos Santos can do it. I, I just don't know if I can really trust him, man. You know, he's kind of getting up there in age. And also, you know, he's a bit on the slower side. <laughs> but the thing with Miles Johns is, and not not to give too much criticism, but this is my honest opinion. I think he's a super intelligent guy, but I, I have questions about the toughness. You know, there were moments in that Mario Bautista fight that were super suspect, and that's not to discredit Mario Bautista's win at all, but it seemed to me like even before the finish that Miles Johns might have been kind of mentally checking out in that fight. Now, that's something you can fix. I mean, you take time off, you know, you get some more wins under your belly. He's coming off a performance award-winning uh win so you know if this is the spot where he comes out here and now he starts to get his groove in the ufc i can see him winning a couple fights here man i mean this is a guy that beat adrian yanez on his regional scene who is the talk of the town right now so i'm gonna go with miles johns via decision but you know anderson dos santos is a very dangerous guy he's live for a finish but aside from that i think that miles johns you know he's that guy that he can be getting outstruck on the feet but then he you know changes levels for that entry gets that takedown lays on you for the last three minutes they score the round for him so you know some of his fights are super close but he finds a way to win you gotta he's got good fight iq um i just have questions about the deep waters with a guy like miles johns not exactly sure anderson is the guy to take him there so for that reason i'm, I'm gonna take miles johns via decision let me see what y'all are saying right now joe Vox said gordon looked good at face-offs i mean listen man you can have the nicest six-pack in the world you can flex for the cameras you, you can put a Band-Aid on that chin, but it's not going to fix a damn thing. So, you know, I, I don't really give a shit how he looked. And you know what's funny about this is that tomorrow, <laughs> watch Malcolm Gordon come out and win. And then, you know, his team's going to take the clips of me trashing him and do the whole bit. I don't give a fuck. After this fight, Malcolm, come to the NFC. We got some fighters that are willing to fight you. Let's see what else y'all are saying. <laughs> Figgy is not good, but neither is Malcolm's chin. Fight's a pass. I mean, again. People are just comparing him to his brother because his brother was a world champion. But you don't have to be a world champion to beat Malcolm Gordon. I, I, I feel like that's like 
that's crossing over people's heads. Like you don't have to be a world beater to beat Malcolm Gordon. Like I think one of y'all can throw, you know, flick a paper ball at this dude's chin and knock him out. So, you know, it, it, it is what it is. Anyways, I'm getting carried away here. Next up in the Bantamweight division, we got a matchup between Khalid Taha. He's 13 and three. He's taking on Sergey Morozov, who is 16 and four. And currently they got Khalid Taha minus 154. The comeback on Sergey Morozov is plus 130. So, man, this should be a fucking super competitive fight while it lasts. I mean, Khalid Taha, so physical, hits like a truck. His ground game is improving, um, and he's a very well-connected individual. So just because he, you know, his fight against Bruno Silva, which he won, was changed to a no contest because you know he tested positive. And it's funny when I brought that up, someone was like, "Oh, for diuretics." Yeah, I looked it up. It was a masking agent. Don't give me no diuretics bullshit. But it doesn't matter. This guy is very well connected. I do not expect him to come out here looking deflated or soft or anything like that. I, I think we still got the very dangerous Khalid Taha in front of us, and with Sergey Morozov looking for his first UFC win. Um, he's a, he's a former champion. Hold on one second. A uh, pardon. Uh, oh, wait, former M1 champion. Okay. I knew he was a former champion, former M1 Bantamweight champion, Sergey Morozov. Look, his UFC debut was against Umar Nurmagomedov. And honestly, I felt like he was looking pretty good in that fight until, you know, things started to go south, but I, I don't see Taha, you know, imploring kind of a, a, a takedown heavy attack here. I think Taha is going to be the one swinging big bombs. And look, Morozov has been knocked out before that kid on uh, the ultimate fighter, Redding house. He knocked him out. Now they did rematch and Sergey beat him over a five round duration. So, you know, Sergey proved he can come back from adversity. I think this comes down to where the fight takes place. Look, not that Sergey can't bang with people. I mean, Sergey, Sergey is solid everywhere the fight goes. It's just, why give Kali Taha a chance to win? You know, uh, Kali Taha hits so damn hard, especially for that weight class. I mean, I was in attendance when he ended Boston Salmon's career. Um, and then uh, obviously the, the Bruno Silva fight. Oh, yeah, and real quick, Boston Salmon. Hey, Boston Salmon, if you're watching this, accept that Nate Williams fight, bro. Like, what the fuck? You're scared of his wrestling? I promise you he'll stand with you. Let's see what you got. And it's funny for Boston Salmon to be complaining about wrestling when you've been knocked out your last three fights in a row. That's why you won't take the Nate Williams fight, Boston? Come on, man. Come on, bro. But anyways, so sorry, Nate, if I'm revealing too much. But anyways, back to Kali Taha. You got to be worried about the explosive power. I mean, Kali Taha is... That he's got that one hitter quitter. Like I said, he's improving his ground game as well. I think if Sergey Morozov can come out here and play it smart, I think he can get extended top control and kind of steal the rounds that way. It's just that you're going to be sweating every single stand up exchange, no questions asked. You're going to be like, Sergey, Sergey, shoot, you know? So um, it's just about if you're trying to go through that. I'm going to lean with Sergey, man. I know he's hungry for that first UFC victory. I think he's got a good path to victory, especially if he gets it to the mat. But I'm I'm very cognizant of the fact that every stand-up exchange is going to be a sweat, and there's a possibility that Sergey gets knocked out. However, if he doesn't, I think get these takedowns, lay on this guy, make the crowd boo, and get a judge's decision. I'm going to go with Sergey Morozov, a unanimous decision here. Maybe split, but judge's decision. Now, next up in the strawweight division, we got a matchup between Amanda Lemos. She's 9-1-1. She's taking on Montserrat Ruiz Conejo, who's 10-1. And currently, they got Amanda Lemos, minus 550. The comeback on Montserrat Ruiz is plus 410. So people are wondering, oh, uh, you hear my boy Nate Williams chimed in. I need that fight. 
I agree you need that fight. You know, it, like I said, man, it's hilarious Boston Salmon is scared of you because of wrestling when he's been knocked out his last three fights in a row. So you want someone to bang with you so you can get knocked out a fourth time? And you know what's the most ironic thing about that, Nate? Is that they think you're a wrestler and you would actually go out there and knock this guy out too. So I understand him not taking this fight. He ain't going to win it. So it's okay. This other UFC vet where I, you'll get that fight, and I'm very excited about that. Now, anyways, back to Amanda Lemos. The reason she's minus 550 here, there's a very specific reason. Well, this is something we talk about often. You guys remember Jessica Andrade when she fought at Bantamweight at 135 pounds. Then she drops to 115. That's two weight classes, and automatically she becomes a title contender. And the reason why is because when you're dropping two weight classes, especially from 35s to 15s, that power is unlike anything these chicks have ever seen before in all their years participating or watching this sport. So basically, I think Montserrat Ruiz is tough. I like Montserrat Ruiz a lot. I, I was impressed before she got to the UFC. I liked her UFC debut. She's got a good headlock series, a good head and arm throw. She's tough as nails. She's Mexican. So you know I got mad respect for Montserrat Ruiz. I just think that she's dealing with a different beast here. I mean, like I said, guys, when you're dropping from Bantamweight to Strawweight, that power, if you can make that cut efficiently, that power is going to translate and take you a mile long. I mean, took Jessica Andrade to, to a title. And like I always talked about with Jessica Andrade, power can override technique in Strawweight. And that's what's happening here. Lemos, you know, speaking of Figueredo, she kind of reminds me of Davis and Figueredo a bit. She's got a bit, you know, that wide stance, the hands down, but that one hitter quitter, she's going to... I, I like Ruiz a lot. I really do. I think she'll be back. But this is gonna this is gonna be a brutal fight, man. So I got to go Amanda Lemos to get this done. I, I think she's rightfully favored where she is, honestly. And if Ruiz does somehow manage to get this head and arm throw game going and in that schoolyard headlock game, then props to her. You know, I'm always happy to see Mexican fighters win. But I got to go with the Brazilian Lemos to get this done. My boy, Nasty Nate, said, I won't shoot first. I swear. You see what I'm saying, Boston? Boston, we're trying to tell you he's not going to shoot. He's going to stand with you. You're, you're going to get the fight you want until you go to sleep. But it is what it is. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got a matchup between Daniel D. Rod Rodriguez. He's 14-2. and two. He's taking on Preston Parsons, who's 9-2. and two. Currently, they got... Daniel Rodriguez, minus 300. The comeback on Preston Parsons is plus 245. So that line's moved about 50 cents. So listen, I'm pretty sure, don't quote me on it, but I'm pretty sure I had Preston Parsons on my show like maybe four or five years ago. I, I, like the name sounds really familiar. I'm pretty confident I had him on my show. He's a tough kid. He brings pressure. Um, he's fought UFC competition outside the UFC. I mean, he fought Mike Perry. Now he got stopped, but he fought Mike Perry. Interestingly enough, at an 160-pound catchweight, who would have thought that Mike Perry could make 160 pounds? He fought Mike Perry. He actually beat uh, Ignacio Bahamondes, the kid that just lost to Mac Desi. I was wrong about that fight. Split decision. Uh, Bahamondes has a fight coming up. I'm pretty sure against Roosevelt Roberts. Uh, Roosevelt Roberts, excuse me. So this kid, Preston, beat uh, Ignacio. So cool. You got some credentials to come into the UFC. It's just this is a tough matchup here with D-Rod, man. D-Rod has got very, very solid boxing for MMA standards. He's got an opportunistic ground game to go along with it. He's flat out in his prime, 34, 35 years old. Right now you're seeing the best version of Daniel Rodriguez, and he's starting to feel comfortable inside the octagon. You could even make an argument that he's undefeated. A lot of us thought he beat Nicholas Dalby in that fight, but he, here's the issue. 
is D Raw going to take any risks or is he going to play this safe? Because when you're talking about DraftKings, I know y'all want this big finish by D Rod, but D Rod might feel like, man, like this kid Preston's got nothing to lose. Maybe I should just play it safe, you know, just show my veteran savvy, go out there, win this decision. And then when you get the higher ranked opponent, that's when you take more risks. So as far as the method of, of how this fight's going to end, that comes down to D Rod, man. How risk adverse. How risk averse is D Rod in this spot? Like, like, like I said, is he going to play it safe, try to come out here, win the decision, or is he going to try to make a statement, and try to put this kid, you know, try to get this kid out of there? So that's what it comes down to in my mind. Look, the winner is going to be D Rod, as far as I'm concerned. That's my pick. That's my opinion. It's just about how is he going to get it done? Because I've seen the aggressive D Rod, but I've also seen the kind of laid back and point fight you up D Rod, kind of touch you up, take you to school a little bit. So it just depends. Uh what D-Rod's thinking for this one, man, but he's definitely going to win as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I think, I honestly think the line could be uh, could be a, a, a bit wider, but we'll see. Look, Preston's a tough kid, trains at a good camp, brings pressure, believes in himself, earned his UFC opportunity, so we'll see what he does with it, but you know I got to go D-Rod. I'm going to say decision. I'm, I'm going to say decision, but it could be a finish too. Who knows? Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between Billy Corantillo. He's 15 and 3. He's taking on Gabriel Mowgli Benitez, who's 22 and 8. And currently, they got Gabriel Benitez minus 164. The comeback on Billy Corantillo is plus 136. Guys, it's not Billy Corantillo, it's Billy Corantillo. Get it right. Um, and I love Billy Q. Who doesn't love Billy Q? The guy comes to fight every single time. Truly exciting warrior and, and a really good dude outside of this shit, too. So I like him. I hope he doesn't hear this breakdown, though. Uh, and it's no disrespect to Billy Q. I like Billy Q a lot. And I'm, I'm happy to be one of the only people that pronounces his, his last name right, Billy Quarantillo. He's a friend of the show, man. I, I like him a lot. I, I think this is a really tough matchup for him. The reason why is Billy Q is that guy that, you know, he'll take that ass whooping up front, but you start to slow down on a guy like Billy Q and he will turn up on you. So listen, if Mowgli had a bad weight cut, if Mowgli hasn't been running his miles, which I highly doubt because he made 145 pounds, so I know he's been running his miles. But if Mowgli comes out hard in that first round and then kind of decides to coast in the second and third, that's where BQ can come out here and win this fight. The issue that I have here is that the early going is going to be rough, man, because you guys know Mowgli Benitez comes out there with that big left kick, and his hands are getting better too. And he handles a certain level of opponent a certain way. So this is going to let me know exactly where Billy Q is at, man, exactly. If Billy Q is a guy that has potential to be a top 15 guy or if he's going to kind of be a top 30 to top 50 guy. Regardless, I think uh, Billy Q is going to have a long career in the UFC because of how exciting he is and because of how good of a guy he is. So, you know, BQ, you got nothing to worry about, my man. Even if this one goes uh, south, it doesn't matter. Like, you're going to have a long career, bud. I'm just super worried about these early exchanges, man, because the way Mowgli lights some of these guys up and the way that Billy Q is so hittable in some of these fights and he relies on his toughness, which is – it's a factor and attribute that we all respect and love that Billy Q has got the heart of a lion. He's willing to go through hell to get the win. So if you're betting money on Billy Q, then I understand why, because you feel like, Hey, let's weather this early storm and then let's take over late. It's just that we haven't really seen too many signs of Mowgli kind of fading in fights. He seems to have very good cardio. Now, one criticism you might have for Mowgli is possibly his chin. I mean, he has been knocked out more, more than once he has been dropped more than once but 
is is BQ a power puncher? You know, this ain't Sodiq Yusuf. So I don't know. This is a tough one for me to call. I, I got to go Gabriel because I really do think that he's going to touch up Billy Q in that early going with that big kick with those sharp hands. It's just if Billy Q can uh, can turn this into a dogfight, then all bets are off the table. That's really what it comes down to in my mind. So I, I'm going to uh, – hold on a second. My boy, my boy Clint said, damn it, Dan, they got us pronouncing quesadilla <laughs> – uh, the right uh the right way now how are we supposed to know that we've been saying bill's last name right hey listen from uh it's from it's from the horse's mouth he doesn't want to be called a uh, quarantillo it's quarantilla so that's what we got to go with but it's just about can, can he drag this to deep waters can he make gabriel start to question things can he make gabriel start to you know have to catch a second win can he can he push the kind of pace necessary to break a guy that is rarely ever broken, you know, that that's what it comes down to because I don't see a guy that fades in Gabriel Benitez. I don't see a guy that quits in Gabriel Benitez. I see a guy that when he's lost, he's been caught. So can can Billy Q catch him? Sure, maybe. I mean, I know, look, I know Billy Q is going to go for it. That's for sure. I just think there's a big difference in terms of how technically proficient either guy is. So that's where I'd lean with Mowgli. I'm cool with being wrong on this one because I like Billy Q a lot. I'm, you know, as a fan, I'm a fan of both guys. Obviously, I mean, Gabriel, how can you not be a fan of him? Cash me a max bet against uh, Humberto Bandene. I mean, in like 20 seconds, the kid took care of business. I love Gabriel, but Billy Q is the man. <sighs> Tough fight. I'm gonna go with Gabriel by decision. Now, next up in the 85-pound division. Now, this is a tough one to call. We got Rodolfo Vieira. He's 7-1. and one. He's taking on Dustin Stoltzfus, who's 13-2. and two. And currently, they got Rodolfo uh, Vieira, minus 235. The comeback on Dustin Stoltzfus is plus 195. So, look, obviously, Rodolfo Vieira cost a lot of people a lot of money his last fight. But at the same time, no one told you to parlay him at, like, minus 750 or whatever the price was. He gassed out in a very alarming way, but should we act like this is going to happen every time he goes past the first round, or should we act like, hey, maybe he had a bad wake-up, maybe he was sick? I kind of want to give him one more chance before I write this guy off because I've seen him go past the first round before, and that was the first time it's happened. I've seen him go past the first round three times. It's only happened one time that he fatigued to that extent. Now, there are reasons that he fatigued. Now, I'm not sure if there's any outside factors. Like I said, maybe he was sick, maybe a rough wake up maybe he ate some gas station sushi the night before the fight you know what i'm saying so who knows or maybe anthony fluffy hernandez made him work for everything maybe anthony fluffy hernandez came out with the game plan that hey we're gonna let this guy exhaust himself we're not gonna exert too much energy in the early going and then after he works as hard as he can to submit us and he can't that's where we take over so is that what happened possibly I need to see this fight before, you know, I jump to conclusions about Rodolfo Vieira because, I mean, they don't just call him the black the black belt hunter for no reason, man. Um, he's one of the best jiu-jitsu uh, black belts in the sport. Now, there are questions about his stand-up. There are questions about his gas tank, about what happens if he gets extended. There's also questions about Dustin Stoltzfus's gas tank. I mean, that last fight against uh, Brendan Allen – excuse me, not Brendan Allen – against Kyle Dacus was, was super ugly. But I heard an interview with Stoltzfus. He said that. He was suffering from long-term effects of COVID, and that's why he gassed out. And he also had some kind of issue with – I don't remember. I don't want to misquote him. Some micronutrient. I don't know. He said he fixed it. He said whatever the issue was, he addressed it, and shit's back to normal. So does that mean that 
now he's able to weather a storm? Because if he's got that same two-minute gas tank he had against Dacus, Rodolfo Vieira is going to submit him in the first round. However, if we do see a better version of Stoltzfus like we saw in contender series, like we saw in his regional fights, I mean, this is a guy that won fights via Twister. He definitely ain't a white belt. He also ain't a black belt on the level of Vieira. But there's a chance that the blueprint's been laid out on how to beat Vieira, make him work, which is easier said than done because you got to be a certain level to make this guy work. You know, anybody can come out here and say, oh, we're going to make this guy work, and then you get submitted in the first round. You didn't make him work for shit. So how good exactly is Stoltzfus on the mat? And how good is his gas tank too? I'm going to lean with Vieira here, man. I think Vieira does get this one done based off what I've seen. However, I would not lay the chalk on him. I, I would kind of sit back. Honestly, it's a dog or pass situation. But I, if you're if you're picking Vieira, maybe have him in DraftKings because that first-round submission, you know, that'll do well. But I would sit back and analyze how this fight goes down. Like, let's see, is it truly a gas tank issue? Did he just have an off night? Because you can't write guys off just because they have one bad night. I mean, look at Korean Zombie. You know, everybody wrote him off after the Brian Ortega fight, comes back his next fight and puts a clinic on Ige. So you can't count guys out just because they had one bad fight. Now, if it's a trend of many bad fights, then then we address it differently. But I'm not quite ready to write this guy off yet. I need to, I need to see what happens Saturday night before I do all that. I'll go with uh, Rodolfo Vieira. But Stoltzfus might be a live dog just in, in, like I said, make this guy work, extend him to deep waters, and there's a chance you win this fight. But I don't think it's going to be smooth sailing by any means. I definitely think the early going is going to go to Vieira. It's just about if Vieira can't get him out of there, that's where all the questions come into play. So my pick is Vieira, but let's see what happens. Uh, let's see. Let's see what y'all are saying. B. Rizzo saying Rodolfo first-round sub or second-round hedge with Stolzis by decision. I mean, like, Stolzfus is already a dog. Why, why even fuck around with decision props, man? I mean, like, he could TKO him. He could submit him. I mean, Fluffy Hernandez submitted him. It wasn't it wasn't because Fluffy Hernandez has got this better ground game than Rodolfo. It's because Rodolfo was so fatigued, so gassed out, that one of y'all could put your arm, put, uh, put your wrist under his, uh, his Adam's apple, and you could choke him out, too. So, let's see. I, I would not fuck around with those props, though, personally. But you guys know how. You guys know how I roll. All right. According to Kurt, Rodolfo wins. Good day, Dan. Good day, Kurt. Brandon says he's got Rodolfo in a parlay. Uh, good luck. My boy Nate says if Vieira doesn't gas horribly, he should win by first round sub. I agree. I mean, I agree. Like, he should honestly beat almost everybody he faces by first round sub. That's how good this guy's black belt is. But as you know, Nate, when punches are involved, when uh, elbows, kicks, knees, the whole bit, when you make a guy work, and plus the famous saying about punching a black belt turns into a brown belt. Now, I, I don't know if I necessarily agree with all that because, I mean, I've seen some black belts get hit pretty hard and still come out there and submit you. To me, it's more about the gas tank than it is about his toughness. I think the guy's tough as hell. Um, so let's see. Damn, Dan Goldstein said, wanted to fade Hodolfo so hard because of the way he exposed himself like Harvey Weinstein last time. I will step away from the bias and pass damn man what, what what a comparison you had there uh my boy z says what's good people what's good my man hey my boy z is out here making these dope ass um thumbnails for for our youtube video so hit him up if y'all need some work man he's the man and shout out to my boy too you know you know we're thinking about you man all right next up in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between Matush Gamrot. He's 18 and 1. He's taking on Jeremy Stevens, who's 28 and 18. And currently they got 
Matush Gamrot minus 200. The comeback on Jeremy Stevens is plus 180. So, you know, <laughs> I said some things about Matush Gamrot. You know, maybe the validity of his record was up in question, especially um, you see that UFC debut against that kid that lost to Oliver Encamp, Guram Kutateladze. And you're questioning, man, was this 18 and 0, 18 and 1 record legit or not? I think it is legit. I mean, I think he did. He beat some UFC vets uh, in KSW. He was a KSW champ champ. He fought some tough guys. It's just now now we're in the UFC, right? And when you talk about the top 15 in the UFC, it's a completely different ball, uh, ball game than, than any of these other leagues. I mean, you might look at Bellator and, you know, maybe one or two of the fighters in each of their categories are studs that would do well in the UFC. Like my boy, Emmanuel Matador Sanchez, you know, I think he'd be a top 15 guy in the UFC right now. Um, I think their 205 champ Nemkov would be a top 15 guy in the UFC. Um, I think uh, the kid that beat Douglas Lima, Amasov, I think he'd be a top 15 guy in the UFC. So they got great fighters. It's just, then you look at like number five in, in some of the divisions, like number five is like Miles Jury, who couldn't even hang in the, you no, know, who got cut from the UFC. No disrespect. He won some fights, but you know what I'm saying? So, there are fighters that can win fights, you know, in Bel. What I'm trying to say here, guys, is that just because he had that 18 and one record outside the UFC doesn't mean it's necessarily going to translate here. However, if you have aspirations of being a top 25 fighter and you haven't figured out how to beat Jeremy Stevens yet, there's a big problem. Jeremy Stevens, listen, I gotta respect the guy. And all y'all talking about how he's got the most losses in UFC history. Look, it's a fact, but shut up. Like, like, shut your fucking mouth. Look who he's fighting, man. He's fighting all the best guys in the world. So, you know, when you got an average guy fighting the best guys in the world, and he's been in the UFC since he was 21. So, like, people use that to, to discredit Stevens. Like, like, he's some shitty fighter. He's not a shitty fighter at all, man. He's beat. He knocked out Rafael Dos Anjos. He knocked out Josh Emmett. He went to a split with Anthony Pettis back when Pettis was Pettis. I mean... Jeremy Stevens is no slouch at all. Jeremy Stevens can end anyone's night with one punch. He's got big leg kicks too. His takedown defense has come a long way. So Jeremy's got my respect. But again, like I said, if you have aspirations to be a top 25 guy and you haven't figured out how to beat Jeremy Stevens, there's a huge issue. The blueprint's been laid out for years. You go out there, you out-volume him, you mix in takedowns, leg kicks, and don't get into any unnecessary exchanges, and you win the decision. And honestly, Lately, there are questions about Stevens' durability because, listen, like I said, this guy's been in the UFC since he was 21 years old. You know what I mean? And now he's a grown-ass man. He's had so many damn fights in the UFC. So, obviously, when you fight the killers, the murderers, row that he's fought, your durability is going to go down a bit, just the wear and tear of all those wars. So, I do think Gamrot's got the goods to come out here and win this decision. It's just about, hey, Matush, like... Let's not, you know, let's not go blow for blow with this guy. But Matush doesn't strike me as that kind of guy. Or I think it's Mateusz. Uh, Mateusz strikes me as the kind of guy that he actually doesn't take any unnecessary risks. He actually does fight kind of smart. He does train at a, a great camp in ATT. Shout out to the Diamond Dustin Poirier. What a fucking stud. What a great guy. Not, not just an exciting fighter, but a great guy, too. You won't ever catch Dustin Poirier, you know, talking about anyone's family or any bullshit like that. So... Shout out to the most exciting fighter in UFC history, Dustin Poirier, who uh, finished McGregor twice and hopefully thrice here soon. Um, but anyways, back to Mateusz, trains with Poirier, trains with all these guys at ATT. Come out here with the right game plan like you normally do, and I think you win this fight. It's just, you know, you always got to respect the power of little heathen. You got to. 
Jeremy Stevens is a guy that, uh, you know, you start to say some cocky shit in the pre-fight. You start to sleep on him. Oh, he's got the most losses in USC history. That That's when, you know, that's when they wake you up with the flashlight in your eyes. They bring out the smelling salts. You're up looking up at the lights and you ask what the fuck just happened. And you see Jeremy Stevens on the cage celebrating like an animal, like a wild man, like a savage. So that's what you got to watch out for with this guy. But I think Matush Gamrock can come out here, pop the jab leg kicks, mix in those opportunistic takedowns, and just slightly be ahead on the points, go out there, win this decision. So my pick is Mateusz Gamera via unanimous decision. However, don't write off the possibility of a finish. The reason being is that, like I said, Jeremy's been in so many wars. Jeremy's fought all the best guys on planet Earth. At some point, that durability has got to take a hit. I think we've been seeing that in some of these fights, whether it was the Yair fight, whether it was the Calvin Cater fight. Even the Jose Aldo fight. So even the Josh Emmett fight in that first round. So I wouldn't be surprised to see a finish. And honestly, Mateusz, he, he shocked me. Not that he won against uh, Scotty Holtzman, but how he won. Knocking that guy out, that, that's, that was a big deal. Um, and that was a very impressive performance. So I'm going to go with Mateusz to get, this, uh, to get this done. Real quick, let me see, let me see what y'all are saying. Uh, you say, yo, what's my take on AJ McKee? I think AJ McKee's a stud. Listen, he's got a very tough matchup ahead of him with uh, Patricio Pitbull. Um, but I do think AJ McKee's a, a very, a very talented individual. I mean, to get to the point he's gotten to, what is it, 18 and 0 or something like that? The kid's a stud, but this is this is about to be a real test for him. I mean, did you see what Patricio just did to Manny? To, to my boy Emmanuel? I mean, one does not simply finish Emmanuel Sanchez in the first round. Like that was a statement. Like that that was huge. Like like Manny ain't willing to take a knee for nobody. So to to put a guy like that unconscious, like goddamn, don't count out Patricio Pipple is all I gotta say. All right, let's see. Uh according to Brandon, he didn't think uh Mateusz looked uh good versus Holtzman. He thought he was sloppy, predictable takedowns, and he leaves his chin open. Well listen, if he leaves his chin open here Chances are he might hit the deck, but I I do think that even though it doesn't look the prettiest on the Gamrot side, you know, a uh, little heathen Jeremy Stevens is kind of slowing down a bit. So let's see. Maybe you're on to something, but I, I do have to go with uh with uh, Matush Gamrot. Peter says, blessings, my brother. Hope all is well. Hope all is well with you, Peter, man. I appreciate it, buddy. Um, All right. Hold on. Early Wayne said he, he tore his knee apart in the Burgos fight. He's talking about Emmett. That's why Emmett's been out for for a while. What, what a hell of a fight that was, right? Okay. Co-main event of the evening in the Bantamweight division. We got Marion Renault. She's 9-7. and seven. She's taking on Misha Tate, who's 18-7. and seven. And currently, they got Misha Tate minus 140. The comeback on Marion Renault is plus 120. So, I know some of y'all just started watching the sport. No, I'm not trying to be a dick, but like, I know it's also oh, the former champion. Oh, she only lost to Amanda Nunes. Like, firstly, that's bullshit. She did not only just lose to Amanda Nunes. She lost her last fight against Raquel Pennington. In between rounds in that Raquel Pennington fight, she told her then-boyfriend, Brian Caraway, I don't have it anymore. This was five years ago, guys. She told her corner man she doesn't have it anymore. So why am I supposed to believe that five years later she has it now, especially at a favorite price? Look. I understand that Marion Renault's takedown defense is not the best. I completely understand. I also understand Marion Renault is 44 years old. However, haven't we been talking about Marion Renault's age since she got signed to the UFC? So to me, her, you know, being a little bit on the older side, that's been her thing the whole time. I'm not worried about that. What I'm worried about on the Marion side is the takedown defense. But 
I've seen Marion in these last few fights. I know on paper she's on a four-fight skid, but, like, some of these fights have been competitive, man. I mean, she took a round off uh, Shaozan, who's, you know, one of these newer-age fighters who – basically what I'm trying to say when I say newer-age fighter, Shaozan wasn't in the UFC back when Tate was fighting. So uh, Marion Renault is out here fighting these young fighters who – you know, while Misha Tate was out, you know, promoting fights and was it 1FC? Someone correct me if I'm wrong or, you know, doing her thing, you know, cheating on Brian Caraway with Johnny Nunes while she was out doing her thing. Mario Renault was putting in work in the UFC fighting the young lionesses, not young lions, young, young lionesses on the come up. So now, even though it says that Misha Tate's 10 years younger than Marion, I'm not sure if she's 10 years younger in, in, in five years, man. Because like I said, five years ago, she told her corner, man, I don't have it anymore. Why am I supposed to believe that five years later at a chalk price that now all of a sudden she has it? So now if this was five years ago, maybe I'd pick uh, Misha here. But it's not five years ago, you know. It's now. So it's tough. I, I think – oh, yeah, another thing about Misha too. Even in her prime, do you guys remember how hittable Misha Tate was? I know some of y'all noobs don't remember, but I know y'all old school fans definitely remember that. Um, what's the name of the the Twitter activist? Julie Kedzie. You guys remember when Julie Kedzie dropped Misha Tate with a head kick? Misha Tate had to have a comeback in that fight. A lot of these fights are comeback wins. Marion's never been finished, ever. Um, honestly, I think Misha Tate takes down Mario Renault, and I think Mario Renault catches her with an opportunistic submission the same way she caught Jessica Andrade, the same way she caught Sarah McMahon. I think Marion Renault is going to submit Misha Tate and retire with a win. So Marion Renault is my pick. And I know that's going to be like the controversial pick because I know everybody's on Misha Tate. Look, she's got a path with the wrestling. Don't get me wrong. But again, if five years ago you didn't have it anymore, why the fuck am I supposed to believe that now all of a sudden you do when Marion Renault? There's something to be said for activity. Marion Renault's been active. Marion Renault's been fighting these young fighters. So it's not the most confident pick because her takedown defense is shitty and she's 44. But I, I think she's got enough left in the tank to get an opportunistic sub. I'm going to say first round armbar. Let's see. <laughs> you know, I'm definitely going to be wrong on that one. Let's see what happens. Main event of the evening in the lightweight division. We got Islam Makachev. He's 19-1. and one. He's taking on Tiago Moises, who's 15-4. and four. And currently, they got Islam Makachev minus 820. The comeback on Tiago Moises is plus 570. So, like I was talking about... Oh, yeah, and real quick. My boy, uh, Nate Williams, said Misha Tate by sub. But then he also said, babies change your mind. Now... When you say babies change your mind, do you mean that she's got a second motivation because she has kids? Or do you mean that, you know, she maybe have been eating some Twinkies, you know, getting a little lazy, getting a little complacent? I think you meant the first thing. But anyways, main event. So what's interesting about this fight between Moises and Makachev is that, firstly, Moises is a black belt in jiu-jitsu. Moises is a very durable guy. He's never been finished in, in how many fights? He's never been finished in 19 professional fights. So I know a lot of people are playing Islam inside the distance. And if he gets a finish, I think it'll be kind of a kind of a case where, you know, he kind of wears him down and then Moises has nothing left. Then you come to those championship rounds, take him to the deep waters and drown him. I, I think if he gets a finish, it'll be something like that. But the thing with Makachev is that he's he's a submission guy and, and submitting a black belt that's never been submitted is going to be a tough ordeal. I mean, look, he submitted Drew Dober, who, I, I mean, if you don't love Drew Dober, you're not a fan of this sport. Drew Dober is one of the most exciting fighters in the sport. The issue is that Drew Dober's a stand-and-bang guy. Drew Dober's not a black belt in jiu-jitsu. So 
it was what it was, right? You submitted Cajun Johnson. Okay. <laughs> and uh, knocked out uh, Glazen Tebow, the kid that just, uh, the kid, the man that just uh, beat Rory McDonald, right? So he, he's finished some guys. It's just that he's not, you know, to submit a black the reason I'm bringing this up, we're talking about minus 820. You're not going to play minus 820 straight. So if you're picking Islam Makachev, you're probably finding an inside the distance or an under or, or whatever the case may be. So the reason I'm, you know, kind of hesitant about that is because Moises is tough, man. Moises is durable. And Moises is a black belt, more importantly. So I think if Islam does finish the fight, again, it'll be a case where they, you know, where he kind of takes him to those deep waters. Moises starts to fatigue. And then you possibly drown him in rounds four or five. But aside from that, honestly, I think it's going to be Moises who is attacking guillotines. And, yeah, like, honestly, if there's a sub, I mean, I, I don't want to predict, you know, Makachev to get submitted because I don't think that's going to happen. But if there's sub attempts, I mean, I can see sub attempts on either side. Now, the blueprint on how to beat Moises, Benil Darius showed it, you know, the takedown. So, and I, and I think Islam Makachev is going to come out here and, and implement that game plan to uh that 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 takedown game plan excuse me so you know the takedowns are going to be there for islam makachev it's just again we're talking about a minus 820 line so we want to know if he's going to finish or not and, and that's what i'm not sure about because again i said moises is tough moises is durable moises is a black belt moises has never been submitted moises has never been knocked out so i think moises probably gets laid on here man um maybe they have some exciting stand-up exchanges as well but most likely, Islam changes levels, takes this guy down, and, and lays on him, avoids the sub, and wins a decision. So I'm going to go with Islam Makachev, be a unanimous decision here. And I'm excited to see Moises back. I think he's a very tough individual, and he's a guy that's come a long way, man. If you watch some of his earlier fights, you know, when he was still kind of developing his confidence, he wasn't quite sure of himself. But he's a guy that, look at the weight streak he's on, man. Beat Michael Johnson, finished him. Beat Bobby Green. Beat. Alexander Hernandez, uh, listen, I ain't high on Hernandez, but a lot of y'all are. So went out there, beat him. Most of those fights were upsets. So he's been doing his thing. He earned this spot. So you can't act like it's going to be one takedown and the fight is over. I will be shocked if Islam gets one takedown and the fight is over shortly after in a spot like this. I just I just don't see that. I, I think Moises has a little more fight in him than that. I think you got to give him a little more respect than that. But my pick will be Islam Makachev via unanimous decision, five-round decision. All right, now, guys, before I talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch, y'all hit me up with some questions right now. Uh, before Bellator starts, we're about to check out uh, these fights and you know what I mean? Um, also, I got to watch the Braves game. Uh, man, hope my boy Ronald Acuna heals up very, very quick. And also, Jock Peterson, welcome to Atlanta, my man. All right, y'all hit me up with the questions real quick, uh, and then uh, we'll get out of here. So let's see. Man, y'all are bringing up some old school shit. My boy Brandon said, same with Miguel Torres from the WC. And what y'all know about Miguel Torres? Y'all don't know shit about Miguel Torres. No, I'm just kidding. But what y'all know for real about Miguel Torres? Because there was a time when Miguel Torres, I believe he was 44-1 and one or something like that. And he was on the pound-for-pound pound list with Fedor, with BJ Penn, with GSP, with Anderson Silva. Miguel Torres was the fucking man until actually a Georgia guy, Brian Bowles, um, dethroned him in the WEC. That was that was a huge moment in the sport. And y'all got to go back, watch some Miguel Torres, but then pull up Miguel Torres versus Brian Bowles if you want to see the end of an era from a Georgia guy. Um, 
B Rizzo said, Dan, do you mess with two or three man parlays or only straight money lines? I mean, listen, I think if you're going to parlay it, two man's the way to go, but you know, I, I'm not going to tell you how to bet. You got to bet how you bet, man. I bet how I bet. You got to bet how you bet. But I, I mean, the likelihood of hitting those three teamers is definitely less likely than the two teamers. I'll tell you that much. So if you're going to parlay, I'd go two teamers. Honestly, I mean, tomorrow there are options because you look at these favorites like Rodrigo Nascimento. You look at Figueredo. You look at Daniel Rodriguez. You look at um, Matush Gamera. So there's definitely some parlay legs on this card. You just got to figure out that proper combination as always. My boy said I missed the WEC. I missed the WEC too. A B Rizzle, he brought up uh, – he said, Bulls fights with Demacio Page. Hey, real quick, let me let me bring up a cool stat for y'all about this, this shit. So Brian Bulls fought Demacio Page twice. And you know what's so damn cool about that? Let me pull up it because there's a really interesting fact that happened in both those fights. They both ended at the exact same time, at the exact same round. Let me just pull up what that was. Okay, so he beat him. At three minutes, 30 seconds of the, uh, this is Brian Bulls defeated Demacio Page at three minutes, 30 seconds of the first round on WEC 35, Carlos Condit versus Miura. And then he fought him in the UFC and beat him at three minutes, 30 seconds of the first round, both times via guillotine, both times in the first round, both times three minutes and 30 seconds. So Brian Bulls will always have uh, Demacio Page's number. My boy, Josh Hollywood. Josh Haywood, excuse me, said Torres was a problem. Yes, he was. A, he was a big-time problem, man. You'd never seen a guy with that size at Bantamweight way back in the day. And, and I think that now, if Miguel Torres fought in today's UFC, he'd probably be a flyweight. But back then, you know, I think – shit, I'm trying to remember my history. Did they have flyweight in Japan? Like, it was my boy Kid Yamamoto fighting at 25s or 35s? I think, I think it might have only been 35s, but I could be way off because my boy Kid Yamamoto – RIP, he might have been one of the first to, to fight at Flyweight. But I definitely think Miguel Torres would have been uh, – my boy Dennis agrees. Miguel was badass. Miguel would have been a Flyweight in today's uh, UFC. So let's see. Uh, Brandon says, crazy how Miguel fell off. I mean, it is, but, like, when you consider how many fights he had, he had, like, 45 pro fights until he fell off. So dude was the man. He had longevity. He had one of the biggest win streaks in MMA history, man. So he, he was uh, – he was the man. All right. Now I got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter watch. If y'all got any more questions for me, submit them below. So my fight to watch, I mean, guys, it's Billy Q versus Gabriel Benitez. Like, tell me the last boring Billy Q fight you saw. Tell me the last boring Gabriel Benitez fight you saw. Exactly. These guys are never in boring fights. You got the heavy kicking game of Gabriel Benitez. He also has an opportunistic uh, guillotine, too. His hands are getting crisper. And then you just got that that dog that <laughs> just this kid Billy Q is so damn tough. Like you literally have to kill this guy to get him out of there. I mean, don't get me wrong, you can win a decision against him, but you know, you know, you take the judges away, you take the time limits away, and you gotta kill a guy like BQ to get him out of there. So Billy Q win, lose, or draw, this guy is coming to fight. And you know, you got a Mexican versus Billy Q. This is fight to watch, man. <laughs> this is gonna be the fight to watch. Uh Billy Q versus Gabriel. Now, my fighter to watch is going to be, uh, you know, I want to say Francisco Figueredo, but it's like, dude, like if you don't knock out Malcolm Gordon in the first round, there's a serious issue. I mean, <laughs> my fighter to watch is Mateusz Gamera. Look, there's been a lot of discussion about his record outside of the UFC, at least as far as I'm concerned, 18-0 coming to the UFC, 18-1 with the UFC debut. But back when he was the KSW champ champ, everybody was saying that he's a top 15 lightweight right now. 
So if that's really the case, you're going to come out here and beat Jeremy Stevens then. So Mateusz Gamera is my fighter to watch because Jeremy Stevens is that litmus test that lets you know exactly where you stand in the rankings, whether you fight him at 55s or 45s. Jeremy Stevens is that guy. You, you got to go out there and beat him if you have any aspirations whatsoever of, of hitting the rankings. And, and I know people will be like, well, Emmett lost to him, and now he's – yeah, but, you know, that was – I was going to say first UFC L. No, it wasn't. It was first featherweight L. He bounced back. With Mateusz, I feel like he's kind of got to make his run right now. There's not too much room to bounce back. You got you got to make it happen right now, my man. So Mateusz Gamera is my fighter to watch. If you as said, a Mexican versus Billy Q. That's what it is, man. You got a Mexican warrior, Gabriel Benitez. I mean, if you know about the Mexican warriors, you know that they come to fight. I mean, just look at my boy Manny Sanchez. Like the Mexican warriors are some of the toughest people on planet Earth. And then Billy Q is one of the toughest people on planet Earth. That should, that should just be a badass fight. Um, let me see what else y'all got for me. Hey, I really appreciate y'all being here with me. As always, I'm going to get the audio issues situated. I'm going to get, you know, we'll get Shaq back in here. Also, go back and check out that podcast I did, that recap show I did um, with the Connor and Poirier uh, card. Let me know what y'all thought about that. Do me a big favor. Hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button. Truly appreciate it. Um, and, guys, thank you so much for all your support throughout the years. If Whether you've been down with me since day one or you're new to half the battle, thank you very much. Shout out to our sponsor, Manscaped. Go to manscaped.com. Use promo code BATTLE20 for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Make sure that you're ready for any short notice opportunity that may come your way. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, all the places where we are available. We'll be back next week for the next card. Let's see what that next card is real quick. Oh, shit. Corey Sanhagen versus TJ Dillashaw. So last time TJ Dillashaw fought, um, I faded him against uh, Henry Cejudo. Some nice. I think I got Henry Cejudo like plus one sixty, plus one eighty, something like that. I think. Don't don't quote me on it. Or did I get Cowboy Cerrone plus one eighty against Alex Hernandez? I know I bet Henry and Donald that night, um, and they both came through. But yeah, uh, Corey Sanhagen and TJ Dillashaw, hell of a fight. Let's see how this guy comes back off the steroids, or if he's got a good masking agent, if he's got a new doctor, maybe he comes back out here undetectable. You know, so let's see what he does. Um, let's see. All right, guys. Thank you very, very much again. Uh, I truly appreciate it. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.